You give Teller from Jerusalem 20 minutes, and he'll give you the education of a lifetime. King of the storytellers and the Shakespeare of the Torah world, here is Rabbi Hanok Teller. Welcome everyone to Teller from Jerusalem, Season 2, Episode 37. In our last episode, we spoke about how Israel had four advantages despite being vastly outnumbered and outarmed by their Arab neighbors. The first advantage, which was described in our previous episode, was that those in Israel were committed to the state and committed to each other. There was a compelling sense of achshav olol olam. The opportunity was now, and just as easily, it could be lost. The second critical advantage was the backing of Jews around the world. We see this again today in the solidarity against Hamas, as we did in 1967 and in 1973, as Jews worldwide united in solidarity to stand with Israel. The Zionists in Palestine in 1948 would often quip that the Arabs have their Arabs in their hinterlands, and Zionists have Israel, and have you, the Jews of the exile. A telling example of this was that Israel had no air force, but hastily put together volunteer pilots. They would use relics from World War II, as we hear from the History of Israel explained, Unpacked series. With the U.S. and British banning arms shipments to Israel, the young nation turned to Soviet bloc countries, desperate to make arms deals. So the Israelis ended up with a small fleet of poorly conditioned old Czech planes to halt the advances of Arab troops on Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. When Israeli volunteer pilots ran out of bombs, they didn't run out of ideas. They got creative and dropped seltzer bottles in lieu of artillery. That's right. As they fell, the bottles made a loud whistling noise that sounded something like bombs dropping. And the bottles also burst on impact and made one hell of an explosion. Again, much like the Davidka, the noise alone created the illusion of more firepower than the Jews actually had. Volunteer pilots from Canada, United Kingdom, and United States came and built an Israeli Air Force that was instrumental in the victory in the War of Independence. Here is a brief selection from Wars of the World. Within hours of Ben-Gurion's declaration, the Royal Egyptian Air Force, or REAF, began launching air raids against Jewish settlements, which Israel was almost powerless to stop. A lucky shot fired by Britain's Sam Rose, one of a number of foreign volunteers fighting for Israel, managed to bring down a single Egyptian supermarine Spitfire, and parts from the crash site were used to rebuild an ex-RAF Spitfire that had been abandoned by the British, affording Israel a fairly modern fighter. This typified the story of the rise of Israeli air power, in the desperation of those extremely early days, Israel put together an eclectic mix of civilian and a few ex-military aircraft to form the nascent Israeli Air Force and help defend the new nation. Jews from all over the world stepped up to get Israel weapons. The sad state of Israel without tanks or armed personnel carriers was rectified, and Israel went on to have a fully outfitted army thanks to Jews abroad bringing in arms and equipment that was so desperately needed. My father, having served in the United States Army during World War II, traveled to Israel after the war, packing heavy and leaving light. He labored to secure supplies for the fledgling state, and the realities of post-war Europe made nothing easy. He allowed himself some slack regarding the vast surplus of American army supplies across Europe. The liberties he took might have also been assisted by the fact that the woman that he was dating, that would be my mother, was lieutenant in the army, as were all whack nurses, but I was just showing off, 
former soldier Teller had no problem borrowing jeeps and blankets and tents and sending them on to Palestine. He then did work for the Joint Distribution Committee in North Africa, where he worked on smuggling Jews to the very same destination. My knowledge about this occurred by accident for a man that preferred at all costs not to talk about himself. The first time that we traveled together up to Jerusalem, I attempted to explain why the road at Bab el-Wad is littered with the detritus of ill-fated convoys trying to bring supplies to the capital during the War of Independence. My father looked at me and commented atypically, You're trying to explain this to me? I brought these vehicles here. On this subject, like any other where he was of help to others, he spoke no more. Another advantage to the Jews in Palestine enjoyed, as Professor Dan Palusar pointed out, were the least likely of allies, most prominent among them the Soviet Union, which had been virulently anti-Zionist until 1947, who not only turned around and recognized the state of Israel, first through the partition plan, but also through its satellite country of Czechoslovakia, which became the major provider of weapons that Israel desperately needed to defend herself. The other unlikely ally was Transjordan, which became Jordan. King Abdallah understood that the Jews were there to stay, and at the end of the day, he was best off making an agreement with Israel, although it had to be done very quietly and secretly, to avert an alignment with Hajjamin al-Husseini and the rest of the Palestinian Arabs. During the War of Independence, there was an understanding between Israel and Jordan that outside of Jerusalem, where there was a genuine bona fide conflict between the two sides, there were otherwise common interests. Jordan wanted to capture Judea and Samaria, as it was previously theirs, and Israel, at the time, was not interested in it. But Jordan had no other interest in Israel. The other Arab armies wanted the entire country, so that none of it would be left for the Jews, and this way they would prevent the Jews from ever creating a Jewish state. The fourth advantage that the Jews possessed among an ocean of lopsided advantages of the Arabs over the Jews, which we already mentioned concerning the elimination of the one and so charismatic Arab leader, was the strong leadership that permeated the Jews. There were several leaders, but the most prominent, as Professor Polisar pointed out, was David Ben-Gurion, who was Churchillian in the quality and the strength of his leadership. He was able to look reality clearly in the eyes and understood that the Arab nations would not allow for the creation of a Jewish state. He recognized this as early as 1929, and with the conclusion of World War II, he understood that the Arabs would do whatever they could to prevent a Jewish state from arising. Ben-Gurion went about acquiring the money, then the arms, then the training to be prepared for this eventuality. His colleagues thought that the old man, as he was referred to, that the old man was nuts, preparing for an air force and battalions and companies, divisions, tank columns and platoons, when they were accustomed to fighting by hand and guerrilla warfare against irregular gangs. Ben-Gurion understood that this was going to be a war to the finish with enormous resources required. Ben-Gurion insisted upon an amalgamating all of the resources of the Yishuv, or the Jewish settlement, and the Jewish agency. Ben-Gurion made a series of bold decisions during the war, and finally he also knew when to stop. When the British threatened Israel that if they go any deeper into Egypt, they would join on the side of the Egyptians, Ben-Gurion, against the advice of his generals, 
decided that it was not necessary to provoke the English. In late 1948, Haganah officers wanted to capture the West Bank, which they would have been able to pull off. But McGurn was opposed, for he wanted the war to end. He did not wish to absorb this enormous Arab minority, which could have actually become the majority in the state at that time. Teller from Jerusalem will devote an entire episode to the life of David Ben-Gurion. And here's a heads up. In a future program, not too long down the pike, Teller from Jerusalem will be privileged to host brilliant, witty, and always engaging Rabbi Stephen Weil, who is the CEO of Friends of the IDF. Rabbi Weil is also so many other things, and we just can't wait to have him on the show. Thank you to all of the listeners who tell me all the time how much they enjoy our episodes and learn so much from them. This, for me, is surely vindication for all the long hours of preparation. And please head over to my website where you'll find a special on my newly released book, If Not Higher. Listeners to Teller Jerusalem always enjoy an extra discount on all products. To hear the first installment on the subject of the new book, listen to Season 2, Episode 34. And lastly, thanks as always to our very intelligent sound engineer, Howard Cheetah Felsen. Thanks for listening to Teller from Jerusalem, where this series takes an intelligent and thought-provoking look at the past in order to acquire a perspective on the present. Spread knowledge by giving us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. Join us next time for a brand new episode and be sure to visit tellerfromjerusalem.com where you can find more details about the show and other useful information. Check out the site store and just by inserting the TFJ code, you receive an additional 10% discount off the already very reduced prices of all Hanoch Teller products, books, lectures, and documentaries. And remember, don't forget, you can get Teller from Jerusalem on any podcast platform or go to tellerfromjerusalem.com. 